Welcome to the 7th Art Cinema Podcast. My name is Christopher Heron. I'm the host of the 7th Art, which is also a video magazine about cinema that you can see at www.theseventhart.org. I'm joined here today by one of the two other producers of the 7th Art, Brian Robertson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Chris. And we are here to discuss our interview with Mike Lerner and Max Pozdorovkin. They made a documentary about Pussy Riot that uh, HBO aired recently called Pussy Riot, A Punk Prayer. And this one is an interview conducted by Kiva Reardon, our friend and compatriot. And um, Brian was directing, I believe, this interview. Uh, Yeah, I was, I guess so, yeah. Um, uh, You were there as well, Chris. You were Mm -hmm. cam-hopping. <laughs> what did you uh, What did you think of uh, this doc? I really liked the documentary. Um, yeah, they made a, like a really nice, um, all encompassing documentary about sort of what happened to the group um, and where they are now. I remember in the interview, Kiva was mentioning how, I mean, this documentary had the uh, golden moment where they had already started production before the uh, the trial began, so it was not started. Due to the trial, it was already in production, right. uh, and that kind of changed what this story was as they were filming it. That's one of just a few insights that these two uh, two men offer in this interview. Yeah, and um, I mean, one of the main points was that uh, they didn't really know if they had a film until they realized that they were recording all of the court footage. And once they discovered that they had access to all that footage, um, which I guess is kind of unpre- uh, unprecedented. like. A lot of the time, uh, it's really hard for filmmakers to get the access to that stuff, or that stuff just is not um, filmed. So, um, yeah, Max and Mike, they came across this huge collection, this big archive of, of uh, filmed trial uh, footage, and they really built the documentary around that. So this is part of our 2013 Hot Docs coverage, uh, which we shot almost exclusively out of Barneon. Just want to thank our friends there for that, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview. by talking about maybe if you could talk about how, how you guys know each other and as well your how you collaborated and maybe the division of labor on oh, how this, okay. this worked. Um, well, we, we, we met through uh, mutual friends in, in New York um, uh, and we actually met in, in Sheffield Documentary Film Festival and then um, basically I started, I started to make the film in uh, around March last year and then... Uh, Max was happened to be in Moscow in the summer uh, on other business uh, as the trial was starting and we sort of met up and decided that well certainly it would be great to kind of collaborate on this film uh, and so we did so it was a kind of in a way a lucky uh, a lucky circumstance that we were both sort of there at the same time and then um, and um, I mean, guess in terms of the how, how we work together. I mean, Max is obviously a Mos- Moscovite, so he has great rapport with uh, our our contributors, who were quite suspicious. I mean, uh, 
uh, Masha's mother in particular wasn't talking to any press. She'd had a, quite a hard time in the press and they'd been pursuing her and, 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 and sort of giving her a, a hard time. So it was, uh, it took some nice Max to kind of persuade her that it was a good idea to contribute to the film, which was a crucial thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we, we just um, started to feel, I mean, by the time we were working together, with, it, with, it, with the trial was the main focus of, of what we were filming, essentially, uh, mm -hmm. with, with contribu contributions from the family. And, but, I mean, um, and, and again, Max managed to kind of negotiate access to uh, the, the trial footage, which is a significant part of the film. And, um, and, then, and then we flew back to New York and spent eight weeks cutting the film for Sundance, which was... Yeah. A trial because I mean it's uh, we luckily got into Sundance which is great but then you've got the responsibility of delivering a decent film which we just about did <laughs> with days to spare you right. know so that was quite so yeah so we were in the cutting room together and yeah. working through the material and I guess you know again I think we it's been a great collaboration because we have very similar political views and and, and, and aesthetic views and uh, had the same ambition for the film very mm -hmm. much yeah, I mean, I think that the film changed a bit because for a long time, I mean, one of the interesting things about making it is that it was a bit unpredictable in terms of what the material would be. And so um, once we found this trial footage, in a way, you know, from the beginning, you do have the sense that the most interesting aspect of it are the three characters themselves, but we didn't know whether what kind of access, because you couldn't access them in prison, obviously, and whether there was enough material to make it about them without it really forcing it and being shoehorned into it. So in a way, the film started out as being a little bit more about the contextual situation in Russia mm -hmm. <coughs> surrounding the trial, but then, like I said, the, the Russian equivalent of Reuters were, not only did they film the trial, but they, and you know, when, when in general, being in Moscow at that time, it was such a, such a crazy, it was such a crazy time, and there was just this energy of radicalization in the air. Um, that whole year, in a way, and maybe um, the Pussy Ride trial was a great last burst of mm. it, um, and to try to capture that, and in a way, I think that the film started out being a little bit more about that context. But once we found out that we could make the film about the three women and make it their story and um, show how they got to where they where they were that became really important and for you know and being inside the courtroom it was it was an amazing trial to to observe i mean certain things that weren't filmed were incredibly interesting like testimonies of the witnesses but but what the women themselves did with the trial and how they approached it and even at, at a dramatic level what their conflict was which was you know they did this thing that had this incredible resonance in this um, uh, incredible controversy surrounding it. And they, on the one hand, didn't really mean to offend all the people that they offended, but yet at the same time, they wanted to also stand up for their principles, for their belief that they should have the right to do what they did. Um, and I think that that tension was just so palpable in their behavior. And also, once we found out that there were all these, all this footage of them interacting before the trial and speaking to one another, we were we realized that you could actually make a film that would be 
the definitive pussy ride film because it would be about uh, three. I mean, they, they are performance artists and they turn the trial into a, an extension of that performance, really. I mean, it, the whole the thing, I mean, and that's what the, the, the film, in a way, I, I think is a, is, is a great opportunity to sort of put those two things together and, and show that, I mean, historically, it was the act and then the arrest and then the trial and then the verdict all that is really part of a piece you know I mean mm. not that they necessarily deliberately set out to do that but once that was a the situation they turn it into that and their complete control over everything that's happening even now is really quite remarkable so in a way they are they are manipulating the whole event still because there is a sense in which they could have possibly been more apologetic, more, you know, and, and they would have got a lesser sentence. I mean, they could have let them out after their, their six months had been detained after the trial. That would have mm. been, that would have made sense. And that know. would have sufficed for all the people that everybody, are asking. Everybody would have been happy with that. But though they go, well, I mean, they do say, look, if we've offended anybody, we're sorry, but we don't apologize for what we've done because what we've done is, is what we do. We're, mm. we're oppositionist artists and you know and, and we do it again you know so um and they still really say that and they're still very much uh, you know in opposition i mean uh, nadia had this hearing two days ago and uh i mean she's in a way as as, as politically defiant as ever mm. i mean mm. <laughs> well there's a, there's always a sort of sense of fortuitous chance that comes up in documentary and it seems like this yeah. is <clears throat> the yeah. gold mine. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were very lucky. I think we deserved to be lucky because our intentions were good. Uh, at the same time, you yeah. know, it could have been a very different film had we not had this material. You know, I mean, we obviously would have found another way, but, you know, the, the fact it does give them such voice mm. in the film is, is really fantastic. Yeah. And you know what else I've also realized that another way in which we were very lucky with the material is that. The material dictated a bit that the film would be structured as a procedural, like, um, as, a, as a trial. And what that does, especially when you're dealing with a story that's um, so sensational, is kind of take you out and give it, you this sort of regularity and allow you to step back a little bit. And for stories such as this, it's incredibly helpful to do that because there's so many... At the time as it's happening, everyone has sort of a dog in the fight and everyone is trying to claim and claim the story and twist it for their own purposes and all these things and once you have this regular kind of structure these things happen and it's the same reason why novelists a lot of times are attracted to crimes because there it gives you a structure for the story and it almost becomes a MacGuffin in a way because you have that and then you can tack on all these other things that you actually want to explore in a film which you know for us it's performance art it's a role of, a role of art in society in general religious fundamentalism, um, you know, freedom of expression, all these things, but to have a clear skeleton to structure it was very helpful. No, you both have backgrounds in producing as well, but this is the debut feature for you both. Was this then, was it the, almost the speed of how this was transpiring? Was that an impetus to direct, or did you set out knowing that this was something that you wanted? I've directed other films before. And, and, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've spent the last 25 years making films about art and, and, and where art intersects with politics in particular. Uh, and this is just the ultimate story of that. So I just felt, you know, I, I just wanted to get on with it and, 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 and try and, and, and see if we could t tell this story. You know, and obviously, mm. you know, one didn't predict exactly how big it would go. You know, they could have let them off after the first bail hearing and 
uh, you know, it would have been a much, obviously a lesser story. So the fact it did go all the way and is still going all the way and is they're now the most, probably the most impactful and famous piece of performance art in history uh, is obviously, again, part of our, our fortune in terms of the film, but also, uh, you know, a, a, say a golden, a golden opportunity to make a film that really analyzes that relationship. Yeah, and I, mean, I think that uh, for me, especially um, growing up in similar times and being into the same kind of rock and roll and avant-garde art, a lot of the same thing that people are coming out of it, it was once uh, being there at the trial and you kind of you're getting to learn this, it was this kind of immediate sense of kinship with them, which was incredible because you rarely do get to make films about people that are so similar. In a way, it's very difficult to do that, but, but you know, both Mike and I are kind of lefties and in a way usually you, you have to kind of yeah. be talking about your subject and then you sneak in a little jab about your own politics you know you get to piggyback on whatever story is whereas here you really get to you know they they say it all themselves and you know and for us that was one of the things also about the film is to show them first of all to show that they're in a way not to make them martyrs but to show that they're you know politically very radical and very aware of what they're doing and taking these chances and they're incredibly courageous for that and also to to present them as uh, as performance artists much more, I think that was that has been one one of many misrepresentations about them is to show them as a band, mm-hmm. and and there's good reasons for it because it is hard. It's a little bit brainy to to, to explain that they're a performance art group in the guise of a band for all these things, but it is such an important difference, and I think that a lot of people that dismiss them dismiss them because well, they don't like punk rock, but they don't you know. They feel like that. Okay, that you're calling the song uh, the songs that they perform performance art, which isn't quite. It's the idea of how they perform and where they perform, and this idea of direct action and spontaneous guerrilla performances. Right. That's so significant. I mean, I think it's a classic case that people project onto them their own interpretation, and so to to to, to Max and I, you know, we are you know Marxist, feminist, oppositionist people, and and clearly we identify with them as that others see them as 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 you know champions of freedom of speech others see them as kind of anti anti putinist anti russian so there's been a, the west in a way has embraced them as this kind of you know putin evil pussy right good uh, and that obviously the religious see them as as demonic uh, blasphemers blasphemers so in a way uh, because in a way they i mean their image is so simple and their and their name is just so you know, blatant, um, people instantly sort of form an opinion, I think, and attach their own, I mean, I'd say we're guilty of that too. I mean, you know, I mean, I think they are what I've said they are, but... Um, but no, but people are very yeah. proprietary about it, yeah. I mean, because they yeah. love, you know, usually, and a lot of times during screenings, there'll be someone that's read like three or four articles about Pussy Riot, and they, and, they, and they love to come up and, to, you know, tell you about right. it. Oh. Yeah. But the fact that left and right can identify, I mean, say, say in America or here, you know, um, those people that just see them as anti-Putinist, good, uh, but actually they, they, would, they wouldn't agree with their, yeah. their politics right. by a long way. Well, the Slavoj Žižek wrote in, uh, I'm going to quote from him here, the true blasphemy, he said that um, we need to make sure that we don't pay, uh, or that Pussy Riot doesn't pay in their flesh, the price for becoming a global symbol, mm. and I thought that in mm-hmm. this context, this film mm-hmm. takes on an interesting, an interesting tone as well. Yeah, it's um, it, you know, it, um, go ahead. 
No, as I say, it is amazing what they inspire and what they stir up. I mean, it is. I, th I think it is because it is so simple, really. Um, uh, it, it's, it, it is a tabula rasa on which people project mm -hmm. what they wish. And, and, and you could say they're victims and paying with their flesh for that. But at the end of the day, it's also what they want, you know. Right. I, 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 they wouldn't consider themselves martyrs. Yeah, and uh, actually Zizek had another, I think he just wrote um, a letter to Nadia. And... Um, and one of the things that he said, and I think it is very true, if you look at the way that the story has continued to live, is that once people did start digging a little bit deeper and realizing their background and their politics and all these things, they became a lot more difficult to swallow and, and to chew on. And uh, what Zizek wrote uh, to Nadia has been that because in a way their anti-capitalist tendencies have become more known, people become much more uncomfortable in that. And, and you know, and for, and for us, that's in terms of putting their story in a historical perspective. There is this, you know, if you go, if, if history is once tragedy, then farce, and this is definitely the sort of farcical, <laughs> bit of it. gender inverted version yeah. of the Russian Revolution. So it's a sort of, I mean, it is, we've said that it's a story of a foiled feminist revolution. And when it is very much, and they are, that's what they are, and they're. Stalled, perhaps, if yeah. not failed. Yeah, well, I, heard, I was going to ask you about that. I heard another interview where you said it. Yeah. Do you believe it's still foiled, or has it... I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't think that... I mean, it didn't come to pass. I mean, what they were advocating, you know, right. in a way, mm -hmm. it didn't come to pass. I think that they've had tremendous influence, and in a way that they've... Even in reappropriating the word pussy, and in... But also in just making people think about these things, and... There's this kind of rebirth of, in Russia, you know, what's interesting is that you really didn't have what left-wing politics since 1991, because basically it's been, there's been a lot, a lot of really conservative uh, movements and sort of communists as well as religious people and all these things. And then in a way, Putin and, and people like that, it's this old corporate structure, but they're sort of somewhat to the left. And then it has been these, these small uh, pro-Western liberals but what's happened is that because the people that were involved with that were so responsible for completely destroying the Russian economy and destroying everything in the country for for everyone else who really suffered so much during the 90s these people are really tainted with uh, West essentially um, <clears throat> social liberalism is tainted and tarred with a brush of economic neoliberalism which is what happened in the 90s and and it's really refreshing especially uh, for me to see this new wave of people that are essentially leftist politically, but also don't aren't just advocating kind of a a, a hyper Western capitalism. I mean, I think the, the, in a way, after Pussy, there is before and after Pussy Riot. I think it, you know, I I, I actually think the, the the significance of the story will grow in time. I think, um, you know, as Max has said, what they've done is articulate a position that now millions of young Russians if they maybe and certainly probably don't agree with but the question's been raised and the question of gender equality and gay rights and, and just the general patriarchal nature of, of the society and the misogynistic attitudes that prevail people will now feel it legitimate to question you know a younger generation I'm talking and I think that will have a very subtle effect you know um, in time I mean clearly you know the opposition are divided they've been largely crushed, you know, the main opposition leaders are either in prison or facing charges or pussy riot have been put away. So in terms of this 
moment uh, last year where there seemed to be a a rise of oppositionist uh, politics you know that has been quelled for the moment but I I think it's what it's you know it's a process and this is a really huge moment uh, in that process I think I think you know I mean and that's why that's why the story has such resonance I mean you know why I mean even you know pussy right you know the, the, the women themselves are kind of pretty star startled and staggered about how big a response there has been to their story. I mean, they're delighted, but also kind of, you know, they had no idea what kind of, what kind of cultural bomb it would be. And, um, and, I, and I think that will continue. I mean, uh, and, and let's see what happens upon the release. I mean, you know, we don't know. You know, there'll be a second wave of the revolution when they come out. Who knows? Right. Well, there's usually, or I find sometimes there's a tension in, in documentary uh, when it comes to issues-based ones as well, of, of moving beyond the theater to the street or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was wondering, if you did you have that in mind at all of what you hope that this might inspire in, in Western audiences? Because that's it's getting played. Well, I mean, I think with Western audiences, it was to give a clear sense of a story. And like uh, it was so often presented as... Um, you know, as this story about a punk band that went and sung an anti-Putin song and then were arrested for it, which is just kind of nonsense. And again, and so it was to clear, to clear that up and to actually present their position in a real way and to make people, to make Western audiences also grapple with them. And I think that a lot of people in the West are very uncomfortable with them. And, and, that's, and that's good and it's important and that's a positive thing. And again, we're not big on like social issues and kind of promoting them, but to be honest in representing them I think is incredibly important, and in a way, that's the most politically radical thing you could do with um, with them. You know, I was there was a 60 minutes piece about them, and um, reading the comments, it was so interesting because most of them were. Uh, and granted, you're dealing with sort of a middle America kind of more conservative audience, but mo- most of the comments were very negative, and a lot of them were calling for them to that they should have been arrested for assault for attacking police officers when they do this action where they French kiss right. female pol- police officers in public. So, you know, I think that it's, again, as artists, they're radical and they inspire this kind of reflection. Uh, and, you know, and our for, for us, the goal was to make a film that, that does something similar. It doesn't, that you don't walk away with this sort of happy-go-lucky feeling that, oh, I've empathized with these women, oh, good for me, you know, and, you know, I... And, and I, I think, importantly, to, to answer your question about the, the response uh, on the street, uh, I mean, the film is, is, is about them, but it's also about us, of course, and it's about the limits of freedom that we experience in our own societies, and, 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 and indeed, uh, obviously, the parallel with the Occupy movement in America and, and Britain, where you know, these social revolutionaries, if you call them that, were tolerated for a while, and then the state decides this far and no further and then the crackdown is severe complete and quite violent and and total I mean I'm not saying that movement can't come back but it certainly learnt a huge lesson about how far you can push things and I think it's exactly the same experience with with Pussy Riot they were tolerated tolerated and suddenly they crossed a line and the state goes right that's it um, yeah, and rather than standing up for secular principles uh, the yeah, state kind of yeah like, okay. exactly I mean it, it suddenly turned it into literally into a kind of medieval witch hunt you know uh, and if you look at the, even, I think, interestingly, you know, there were protests in New York for Pussy Riot where uh, under archaic laws about, about, uh, about bank, robbery, bank law. robbery law, where you're not allowed to have your, more than three people can't gather in public with their faces covered. You know, actually, filmmakers Esther Robinson and a few others were arrested under this law. Uh, 
In France, they... Well, there's 50 people in New York, 52, I believe. Yeah, uh, in, in France, uh, there were arrests uh, for pussy right protests under the Burka law, where you're not allowed to have your face covered in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Germany, there were arrests where there's a law that it's illegal to disrupt a religious service, you know, for good reason. I mean, that's a, probably a reasonable law given, you know, <laughs> that country's history. But in this context, so it's very interesting to see, you know, uh, as I say, what role we have, and I, and I think every a good film should not be about its subject; it should be about its audience, essentially. And it is about us, and it is. And I hope people do reflect on, you know, uh, the equivalent of lack of freedom that we experience in our own societies, which I think has grown mm-hmm. enormously in the last 10, 15 years. So. And also, I think that one of the things we realize is, in addition to that, in addition to all the politics, it's just a tr- kind of a tremendous epic downright Greek story. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, when you step aside and kind of people right now know the story a little bit, but imagining five years from now, I mean, the, just the the events that happened are so incredible. I mean, in the literal sense of the mm. word, that, that this could happen, that these young women could put on these stockings on their head, and then all of a sudden 100,000 religious people could come out and protest again, and they would take... You know, it's, it is this, and also just what happens to them and their personal dramas yeah. as they go through with this. I think it's just, at just a purely humanistic level, it's such an incredibly captivating and mm. enjoyable story to watch. I mean, and that, that's not to diminish or dismiss any of the political dimensions, but it is, it's rare to have that. Where, I mean, there's so many things that lead to that. I mean, you know, cometh the hour, cometh, cometh the hour, cometh the women, you know, and these three women, I mean, the fact there are three of them, there could have been eight of them or one of them or the, the, the dynamic of this, the trio, and, and they're very different characters and they're very, you know, compelling nature. I mean, all this is a kind of perfect storm, if you like, you know, of, of and that's why this moment, I mean, it is, I think Max is right, it is ultimately down to their personal qualities and, and this human story that is, 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 is um, you know, quite remarkable. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. And yeah. in general, I think I, I believe strongly that that in docu- the ability in documentary to be sort of humanistic in a certain way is the best way to both deepen and sort of trump very simple ideological explanations of things. And I think at once, you know, for us, once you examine how each of the three of them came to, let's say, to be in Pussy Riot, to be radicalized, essentially, and the different channels that that took, that really, um, you know, pushes away a lot of the sort of the simplistic explanations. And you can do that, I think, very strongly by just delving into character. And I, I think that's... Yeah. Well, I want to jump back. I'm glad you brought up well, um, uh, Occupy Wall Street as well, mm-hmm. because there's this also comes at a moment when the idea of digital revolution is sort of the new four of this you know it's the revolution won't be televised it'll be live but now it also it's going to be viral like this and you touch on that as well in the film at the beginning with uh using twitter yeah the tweets and twitter handles come up on the screen so i want to talk about maybe if you could you know i mean one of the things that we're so lucky about was that they are you know they're essentially media performance artists because what they're art product is at the end of the day is that you know they go to places where they show up with maybe a, a boombox and, and they'll jump around and videotape themselves, not really performing. And then they'll, the next day, they'll upload a video with music um, to their live journal page. Um, and that becomes the, their work of art. And so for us, it was a great gift because as media artists, they're very, very good at documenting themselves. And that's 
part of the reason why they could have such resonance is that there is this sort of proliferation documentation of their own activity. And in a way, that was, especially in, uh, in Russia and in a lot of these other places, that's why it, um, social media and all these things becomes an alternative public sphere for that kind of dialogue and for... And so I think that's that, yeah, an incredibly important aspect. Of it. I'm, I'm actually developing a film at the moment about uh, online fascism and, and, and Facebook fascism because, um, I mean, for instance, in, in England we have um, this EDO, English Defence League, who have you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. They have protests and maybe 20 people turn up in the street and you think, oh, well, that's good, nobody's really into But it's not where it's at anymore. People are, the communities are virtual and they are very much international. And I think it's, a, it's something we need to understand more and come to terms with more. And in terms of Pussy Riot, again, you know, as you say, two million or more people saw this protest. You know, you're not going to get two million people turning up to protest, but, but they can partake in these oppositionist, or the, the, you know, these movements, you know, online. And that's a good thing and also a terrifying thing because it's very impossible to control and monitor and... As you're saying before about these comments you get online, I mean, people say things, you know, in chat rooms and in comments that they would be arrested for if they said them in public. So there's, so there's this very uncontrolled sphere that is growing clearly, uh, and it's already huge, where people can, you know, uh, indulge in hate crime, indulge in very dangerous political talk uh, that is very, you know, can have a huge influence on, you know, a younger generation. So. It's it's a it's a scary time I think and all, as I say when it's you know Pussy Riot doing it it's great but when others not so great mm -hmm. you know but, I mean this is perhaps a bit banal but um, there's this sort of interesting schism that happens uh, and I think in many countries right now between generations that watch and don't watch television mm. and and I think that a lot of the political and in a way I think that the conservative elements haven't been very successful in utilizing this new media and figuring out how to use it. But, you know, in Russia, was, uh, we get a lot of um, uh, a lot of questions about freedom of the press and whether you can say this or that. And people a lot of times don't realize that what's problematic and in Putin's Russia about the use of the media is, is, is that by investing and controlling the political message of two or three channels, you can guarantee yourself electoral victory because basically old people and a certain kind of de a slice of a demographic pie that watches those channels. You don't actually, in the new model, you don't really have to be totalitarian about newspapers, about the internet, about all these things. But that's changing because obviously that population is dying out. I think you see that all over the world and that's and so that the new generation isn't watching television, but they're inventing content through... Yeah, or buying newspapers or, <clears> this, <throat> you know, I mean, we are, this is a very, you know, fast-moving and radical moment that, as, as ever, throws up great things and terrifying things, you know, so that's what it's good to make films about, you know, yeah. I mean, in a way, and, and, and you know, I think the, you know, the, the state of documentary and the rise of documentary and indeed the distribution of documentary, again, is all in flux and, and will, I think, benefit greatly from, you know, this online model and, you know, and distribution online, as I say, people not watching these films on television, they're not necessarily going to theatres to watch them, but they, they're watching them on their iPads and their phones and whatever, and I think there's a huge appetite and great audience for these films and the ways in which they're made. I mean, again, this film was made largely, couldn't have made this film without the internet. I mean, the, it, would, it would have been impossible. So it's allowing new films to be made anywhere in the world at any moment. It's an extraordinary moment. 
No, I, I mean, the retrievability of media, I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people talk about this as, as big data. I think, uh, to my mind, that's the biggest, I often like to say that right now is the golden age of documentary, and I think that that's the main reason for it, is that it is this kind of archive culture of endlessly re retrievable past. And that's a great, you know, I think that's a great boon for, for documentary filmmaking. You can, you know, you could go online, you could sit in a room, and you can make a film about anything just by downloading material from YouTube. You know, and a lot of people are doing that. So you don't have to leave your room. You don't have to pay a penny. You just find material, weave it into a film. Bingo. I mean, that's mind-blowing, you know. And, of course, great people are doing it. Lots of bad, untalented people are doing it as well. But that doesn't matter. You know, the good stuff will out. And, you know, I, you take a camera like that, $2,000 camera or something, you go and make an Oscar-winning movie. You know, I mean, it's... So it is, I think it's more than a golden age, I think it's a platinum age, <laughs> I mean it's beyond that. Right. The possibilities are just extraordinary and, 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 and you and know. A platinum age will be when we all have retinal implants <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it will just be but all that, What you mean next, next year you yeah, mean, yeah. I mean this is all, the, the pace of it is extraordinary. I mean you know I have been in film and television for you know a couple of decades and uh, you know it's in the last two or three years I think, and even right now what's happening is absolutely beyond anything that's ever happened before so it's good stuff you know and, we're, and you know something like hot dogs is you know obviously played a huge role in it uh, in, in a way and the, you know the the festival circuit the online community for all this stuff is 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 growing exponentially you know and, and very rapidly so. it's, it's actually it's great that hot dog does this thing about uh letting students in for free to screenings because yeah what you do notice at document at, doc, at festivals and documentary festivals is that the crowds like not the industry not the filmmakers but the crowds that come do tend to be a little bit older a lot of times that will come out to the movie theaters especially for documentaries and i think that because that landscape is changing and it's really important in terms of just catalyzing younger people to make films and to see what can be done to kind of get them into theaters. Because also experiencing it in, in a theater is, is you know, more. Oh, of course, yeah. yes, it's, you know, it's a great, great uh, experience. And we're having, a, I'd say, fantastic screenings here. And audiences are really quite, I think, the best we've seen, actually, yeah. in many ways. So. Well, and part of what I like about this documentary too is, as you're saying, it is—it's new media, it's mixed media. There's there's YouTube, there's footage you shot, and then there's also this this courtroom footage. And I was wondering if you can just talk more about how that act. I know you mentioned that you mm. somehow managed to get it. It's it's so powerful, though. Well, it's you know it was one of those things where I, um, being in the courtroom, uh, we knew that there are certain things that were recorded, and we had no idea, and so we knew that parts of it, at least parts of the speeches we would be able to put in the film and that would be significant. The two big surprises were, first, that we found, you know, the speeches that the women made and their their own statements in the court were, court were so powerful and helped explain so much. And, you know, for us, it was the main goal in the film, but the orient, the kind of the nucleus of it was that try to let them tell the story as much as possible. And, and that's why, you know, it doesn't, you don't need another perspective from on Russia or on women or anything else. Like we just want. I thought we felt that they did a, a really great job of getting their ideas across through the in, in the ways that they wanted to. So that was the first surprise. And the second surprise was that um, when I contacted the the Reuters agency and I, I started looking at the Russias, we realized that uh, that the cameraman 
even though you know their job is basically to press a button on something like this, be, first of all, began rolling on the cameras uh, several hours before the proceedings started, and then they were also had microphones in there, so they were able to really film to you know to give this in, this intimate access to the women, and and I remember calling up Mike and I, when. I first got the like the lower res DVDs of all that footage to use, and I was like, "Oh well, we have a, we have a film, and it's just <laughs> yeah. it was this total 180." That you know, but again, it's also a, a reflection on the the online age <clears throat> because I mean, the reason they filmed this stuff was to stream it. Really, they weren't. I mean, it wouldn't it have filmed untold. 40 hours of courtroom to put in any kind of TV film or anything like that. So they just happened to be streaming it. And I mean... Uh, well, we should say also that our footage, the footage that we use, most of it was never streamed, was never yeah, seen. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and a lot of it even wasn't. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah, the, the reason for filming it was, was, was for that. And, mm. and that was a decision really by the government to say, look how open we are. I mean, you know, we're, we've got nothing to hide and we're happy to... Because they don't stream most trials. I mean, it's only, it's in fact, very few. I don't know if there have been any other... Major well, the, the women that. requested there was a, early on there was a motion, so the women requested yeah. that the trial. Yeah, but the film, state but had to approve it. it. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit, you know, <laughs> what the women want and what you know what the state wants doesn't necessarily. Say, but it did happen to be the same thing again. I mean, they, it was a great decision. We owe them, we owe the Kremlin, you know, a great deal of thanks for doing that because uh, they've given us this incredible material, which I think historically. It's like, it's, you know, the trial of Joan of Arc being filmed or something, or the Dreyfus affair or something. I mean, it really, I think it is on that level. I think it's just, however absurd the, the incident is, in many ways, um, the, it, the, the, the nature of the, the moment is really, I think, historically in, incredibly important. And, and well, actually, the absurdity of the incident makes it a pure story. In a way. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what's... Yeah, there's no, it, there's no moral ambiguity about what they did being a criminal act or not. I mean, I don't think there's any sane person in the world would seriously suggest that what they did was worthy of criminal offence. Um, well, there are well, lots, no, lots of people in the world that... Uh, well, people that get paid to yeah. do it. Yeah, but even people that think what they did was wrong would, you know, would assume that they were being done under some kind of blasphemy law or some kind of, mm. you know... I mean, actually, legalistically... Uh, it, and of course, they do justify this. I mean, that, that was the whole point of the trial was to. But I don't think even the people participating in the you know, from the prosecution actually fundamentally believe that what they're doing was re reasonable. I think it was done because they're being paid to do that. They're being paid to get one result, and that's it. And I mean, the fact is that you know, ninety nine percent of trial of of, of, of 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 people that go to trial in Russia are found guilty. So there was, you know, not never, 99, but no, well, uh, okay, a very, very high yeah, percentage, very high percent, yeah. ninety-eight percent. Sorry, you know, mm. uh, I mean, in this country, sorry, in America, it's eighty-seven percent. So we shouldn't feel too mm. kind of comfortable about, you, you know, the, the, I don't know in, in Canada what the, what the statistic is, but it'd be interesting to know. You know, it's, it's very high. I mean, most, by the time you've got to trial, you're you're dead, really. You know, in most cases, and unless you've got a lot of money to pay very expensive lawyers. That may get you out of these 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 things. Most people don't, and you know. So once you're caught up in the in in the system, you're 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 you know, shafted. And this is alluded to in the documentary as well. The mm. comparisons with the the uh, show trials of the 1930s yeah, as yeah. well. Which was well, and I think that that's that's almost a more. It's in addition to kind of a legal dynamics. It's this idea, and you know, going back to this, I I don't think that the, I think that there are actually a lot of people in the world 
probably more than half of a world that believes that things like this and that that sort of blasphemy is something that should be criminally punished mm. and that social order should be enforced like this. I think that unfortunately that's the that's the age and the age of mm. extremes that we live in. I think, and um, and I think that specifically in post-Soviet countries there is this long tradition of these public spankings of of punishing people that step out of line. And I think that that's really the, the tradition. It's less even about the charges. It's less about. It's mm-hmm. more about this idea that. Uh, what's about, what, what's the, 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 There's a an, an idiom about a nail sticking out and getting the hammer. It's it's the opposite of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. Anyway. But, no, but but the hanging yeah. nail gets the yeah, hammer. Yeah, gets, gets, gets the <laughs> yeah. hammer exactly. And so, and I think that that's really the the resonance with the show trials and other things that that was. A culture that began at that time and continued of really cracking down and telling people not to step out of line. So. Mm-hmm. And there's something nice about the the footage then being technically state owned, I suppose, then being switched on its head. It's like making a, a film out of close uh, circuit yeah. films yeah, or exactly. something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, it's not not exactly because they're actually an independent company, so it's a Ro- it's a Reuters kind okay. of company, right. but still, yeah. But there is, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is an incredible um, stroke of luck, really, that all this happened, and, uh, and 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 for them, I mean, again, it's it's all as I said before, you know, in a way, the trial is a performance, and guess what? This performance is being filmed, and guess what? People are making it into a film, and audiences are going to see it. I mean, it's just it, it, when you tr- sort of reverse engineer what's happened, it's no, it's rarely really do you get a chance to kind of immemorialize something. <laughs> well, it's interesting too with performance art, which is supposed. to often thought of as ephemeral mm-hmm. and supposed to just mm-hmm. pass and go mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it. Right, that's and then now, especially, and you sometimes don't know what's being recorded either, that even if you're, you know, your artist intends to have that moment just, mm-hmm. you know, be and then be gone, someone mm-hmm. could be capturing on a camera. But So that's all changing as well. Well, and, and I think that that's the interesting thing is that in um, what I mentioned earlier is that they're media performance artists and that's the new dimension that they bring to it is that it's because of the availability of cheap recording to, uh, equipment and all these things, it's no longer the kind of thing that it's difficult to document. And so for, for them, it's actually documenting also the responses that they get on the spot. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it is it is a less ephemeral and more viral and more <clears throat> disseminated version of performance art. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as much as this is also a portrait of these three women, it's also a portrait of Russia in a very mm-hmm. uh, scathing way, mm-hmm. I think is easy, easy to say. But I was wondering if you could talk a bit about uh, the choices and how you wanted to represent a whole country as well. Well, I mean, I think that I don't actually quite agree uh, that it's necessarily a scathing portrait of Russia. I, I actually, in a way, I think that it shows certain things about. I think it's it's a more dare I say correct version of, of representing and representing the story. And I think that it's rather than seeing the whole story as kind of this orchestrated thing from the in the judicial structure in the way that the and draconian tendencies in that I think that that's important to highlight and and and, and to show that those parts of it but I think at, at the same time we we hope that the film first of all I think that for Russians I really want them to see that these women are sort of patriots and they're very you know they're courageous and they're trying to they're idealistic and they're trying to change things for the better. <clears throat> and then I, I think that, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm. I mean, I think the film in some ways is a, is a psychoanalysis of the society, and you're seeing there's this event, it causes this reaction. What is causing those reactions? And I think we try and 
delve into the psyche of those for and against you know um, in a way the whole story is about misunderstanding and 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 Pussy Riot not quite comprehending the degree of offence that they caused unwittingly this the opposition the, the, the orthodox church being over offended by something that wasn't intended to be a direct attack on their religiosity it was a political and using it to promote kind of anti-extremism kind of yeah um and so all around and we're digging into you know this 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 as i say this history of show trials this this relationship between church and state which of course under the soviet system the church was you know the the marginalized marginalized and 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 repressed Mm -hmm. and so this is Again, they call them Bolsheviks in their attack. You know, they say this is a return to Bolshevism and attack on the church, which you know isn't the case. So it's 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 you know, it, as I say, we try and analyze, if you like, or give reasons, um, motivating reasons behind this reaction, which right. we do a bit. We try. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that there's a lot of uh, you know one of the things that, for example, Katya from uh, was one of the members of the group likes about the film is she likes that there are other aspect of them, for example, prosecution lawyers, you know, and I think that they even respect, so at one point, at one point in the film, a prosecution lawyer says that their, the story has done tremendous damage to liberalism in Russia, in a, in a way, and I think that she respects that, and I think that it's an interesting position, I think a lot of people that are maybe sympathetic with them on certain political grounds are really off-put by what they did, I think that those things are really important to, eng- to engage in as well. And I think also the film kind of is, because they are, they are provocative, and I think that they also, as our experience with the Q&A has been that they also force people to consider their own societies and how, you know, our, one of our favorite examples is, you know, there's this graphic orgy in the movie, and it's really hard to imagine a, any Western society where you wouldn't go to jail for that. You know, and they would get a fine for that. Whereas, you know, going into a church is a different scenario. And in and, and, and almost no Western country, you would probably go to jail for that. But so, so I think that it's, it's important to reflect on those different standards. And there are different reasons for why certain things will set off, um, set off the government or set off the kind of national reactions and not others. Yeah. So. And I, yeah, I should yeah clarify. It's scathing in terms of like, it's the state as it is, but as yeah. a portrait of Russia itself, it actually delves quite into these sort of schisms of what yeah. is. I think in we're the quite affectionate now. to most people. When yes, you no, that's yeah, that's why I should have, yeah, st- yeah, scathing of the state, but not of, of the of the people in any way, mm-hmm. because there. And I read another interview where um, you said you didn't want to, you wanted to make sure that there wasn't any kind of uh, you know stereotypes or caricatures of what um, Russians are and. I think that would be a difficult thing to negotiate when you're uh, talking with the carriers of the cross, which is very, it's a chilling scene mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I wanted to, yeah, if you could speak a bit about that. Wait, what about the carriers of the cross? Well, it's um, a moment where that if you were to be, you know, laying judgment on another aspect of society, that would be when it came down, yeah. that these men are, you know, their well, hatred's you- almost, you know. I, I mean, obviously, we are editing what they say. Yeah, in, in yeah they're that really way. not that you know, <laughs> They're really nice. I mean, we, we cut them for you know comedic value more That's than right. anything. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, um, and whilst we obviously don't agree with them, I don't, I don't think we're trying to you know humiliate them or, or, or you know it's definitely not the intention. It's but it's to understand this depth of feeling, this rise of orthodoxy. I mean, as you have in Islamic world and the Christian world and the Jewish world, you have. You know, you do. We have seen in the last mm. twenty years or so an incredible explosion in um, 
in, in, in ultra-religious um, uh, feeling uh, around the world, and, and Russia is no different. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, we wanted to convey that that, that exists. And, and I, I mean, what's interesting is the way in which Russia is different in this way is that these religious people, and I think that Pussyrat actually is, is, a very, is very significant for them and as well, is that these people that have been kind of marginalized and silenced for, for a long time, all of a sudden, granted through a catalyst that's a bit bizarre and strange, have this voice and they themselves become radicalized and much more active in a way that they've never done before or have never done since, you know, in over a hundred years. And so I think that at least people like the carrier for me, what was so attractive about them is there is the sheer theatricality that is that it is also the closest thing I can think of is that they're almost like civil war reenactors in the West, uh, in the U.S., and that it is a form of performance. And one of the things we say is what I think I mentioned during the Q and A is that one of the darlings that we have to kill in this film is is a scene where the carriers of the cross sacrifice this Madonna poster and burn it and describe how the demon is trying to, is trying to escape from the poster. And, you know, that is also a form of performance. And the fact that they do this for television, they do this for, for the cameras, and they do this in a way, it's, it's a form of activity that's really not unlike Pussy Riot. It's coming from a totally different ideological position, but it's this idea that you are still, you're performing your own beliefs, and you're, yeah, it's a form of direct action as well. I mean, a, 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 this, this controversy was definitely stoked up and hyped up by the church, by Kirill, by the patriarch. I mean, if he had come out and said, Okay, it was very bad thing he done, but okay, let's try and understand them and and be forgiving. You know, then that would have been that. The fact is, he very much was behind the causes prayer meeting, is 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 one of the key figures behind, you know, stoking the story up and and whipping people up into this outrage, this moral outrage that they then felt they felt because uh, I think he had a big control over. No, I know, think that he's. I mean, that's been yeah. one of the misunderstandings. I think is that 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 Kirill is much more responsible and involved and, and much more of a catalyst than Putin. Mm. I think it is one of those things, that, I mean, I don't know this for certain, I don't think anyone does, but I think that uh, there was enough of a will from the church and from, uh, for them to be prosecuted, and, and Putin was probably all too happy about it, but he didn't have to get involved because obviously he didn't like their other actions well, and their other performances, and so he could have stopped it, but there's... And it's important to explain the relationship between Kirill and Putin. I mean, Kirill described Putin's return to power as a miracle. And you know, and, and that it's a kind of religious duty to vote for him. Mm. So you know, there's there is a deal going on there, and, and so Putin kind of owes Kirill for massive. I don't know what numbers in terms of votes that come from the Orthodox community, but they're very significant. And certainly, a lack of them would put Putin mm. in balance of power in, in, in question. So he, it was, you know, it wasn't. It was a no-brainer for him to sort of go along with this, you mm. know, because uh, and, and certainly. The Western reaction is, is is something he's always batted away anyway. I mean, if if, if Bono or Madonna or a critical, he what does he care? You know, I mean, in fact, he's no, and he's yeah. right to actually point out that there is a huge double standard in, in yeah. dealing with these things. Exactly. And I think that that's and in a way, by not appreciating that double standard, we almost do a disservice to to the situation in the country because because people there that are let's say supporters or that are more on the fence about the whole situation, when they see this kind of reaction that is misguided and it, it, it isn't directed towards the actual cause, it's all it does is cause people to stop listening to what's being said you know, in the West. Right. I know you said you wanted this to be the definitive Pussy Riot film at the mm -hmm. beginning, but I'm wondering how you 
when you were making it, did you have any sense of how it would fit into this narrative, or was it all just moving to which the, the Pussy Riot narrative, which is, I mean, I think it's fair to call it that at this point. No. Yeah. Well, it, we, you know, we had a hunch, you know, we had a hunch, definitely, from the very first moment you, you see these images of this group uh, in, in Red Square or whatever, you're thinking, this is such a dynamic clash, you know, that it, it's, it's bound to produce sparks that will <laughs> perhaps ignite and it and it did so we definitely it, it felt like it had always had the potential to be that and and in a way have we been surprised at how big it is well only just you know in a way i mean as i say i think i think and i do think it's even bigger than actually we even perceive it at the moment i think in time of course that's speculative but mm -hmm. i think in time it will be it is like a dreyfus affair you know, one, one. Well, you know, it, 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 in its way, I think it, it will. Be, you know, it, it's got that potential. It's certainly more people know about Pussy Riot than Dreyfus now. And <laughs> anyway, and we'll see in time. You know, what the consequences of that that that, that moment. And I mean, to me, the action is the trial. To me, the the that's the big historic moment. That that you know that uh, that, that, that you know they they make this confer on this action. The status of a of a social crime of a, of, a, of a revolutionary act that has to be punished by imprisonment. You know that's what's. I mean, they give them that. They make it into this. I mean, they, if they batted it away as, as 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 naughty students just making a fuss, then that would have been this wiser thing to do, really, because now they have built this thing into into a, you know a, a seismic moment in in Russian politics, essentially. So. We'll For see. me, I always find that I find that I find hate crime legislation really interesting, and when it's applied and how it's applied, and, and what they're charged with. Ultimately, even that that article that they're charged with is a hate crime article, and it's there, and it's usually prosecuted for hate crimes. The fact that they try to make this into a hate crime is very it's fascinating because clearly the women didn't have any hatred towards religious people. That's easy to document, but whether their lack of consideration qualifies as hatred. I think I think it's a very, for a lot of people, I think it's legalistically quite interesting. I, I think that it's obviously given that Russia has a secular constitution, there's no way that what mm. they did should qualify as that. But in terms of what is punished in terms of offense to religious people, and, and I think that, that in that way it really evokes a lot of questions that are brought up with, let's say, even that Innocence of Muslims video, and a lot of, in general, how we deal with religious sensitivity all over the world and what what is actually for people who are citizens of a secular government what is their responsibility towards you know freedom of expression yeah, yeah, towards freedom of expression and also towards sort of the right of others to not be offended yeah. Yeah. and would you ever revisit the uh, you know upon their release is there something sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, the second wave of the revolution would be something yeah. to document. Yeah, no, we hope to. I mean, uh, we hope upon their release, they uh, they like the film enough to want to continue yeah. working with us. <laughs> Perfect. I think we'll. Well, thank you. Thanks thanks a lot. There. Thank nice you so you. much. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I uh, wasted time at the beginning chatting about right. the Battersea nice. Museum. I didn't wow. know we were rolling. That's <laughs> to say, you can make an alternative show out of that. You know, <laughs> Toronto's architectural marvel value. <laughs>